Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Welcome back to Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I am super excited today to have Mike on the podcast and we're going to talk a little bit more um, about what they've got going on. So give us an introduction. Tell us what you're up to. Well, hi. It's nice to uh, actually meet you. I've been listening to your podcast a little bit. Um, So let me just start with a little bit of my background. I am a uh, high performance custom builder and kind of was born into this business. I'm a third generation builder. So I don't think I had any option of doing anything else. I don't think, but I do enjoy it. Um, so in my, my experience as a high performance builder, I quickly found out how important air sealing was. So, um, you know, we, we used to take a lot of effort and time to, uh, air seal our, our buildings and we tried all kinds of products out there and so um a couple years ago um i was listening to a podcast uh it was either like fine home building or um one of one of those and and uh they were talking about the ids and um new products that they saw and that that they liked and so um at first when i heard them describe it um it sounded too good to be true so i um kind of did my own research and um, it was like a couple of days after they, they released, which was at the uh, 2018 IBS. And um, I asked, you know, if I could use their product and all that stuff. And, um, and then for some reason, I asked uh, what it would be like to be a vendor if uh, they didn't have one near me. And of course, they didn't because they just released and they're based out of Ohio. So um, I'm based in Central Oregon and out of Bend. and um, I just kind of continued the conversation and long story short, we visited um, Arizona Mandalay uh, Homes. They were doing their um, kind of R&D for Aero Barrier. And so we went out and kind of checked out the process and um, pulled the trigger and we're number, I think the fifth vendor. And right now I think they have about 90 or so. So, um, if I could give you a, a quick uh, maybe background on Aero Barrier as well, I think that might be important. Yeah, I think that would be really great because um, I only heard about it uh, in 2019. So it's yeah. something new, but it's starting to get some traction. I'm not sure they're doing it as much in the Northeast here yet, um, or at least I haven't found anyone. So uh, yeah. when when I saw that you were you know following along online and listening to the podcast and I was like, Oh, arrow barrier. Let's get somebody on who who has been using it and knows about all of this stuff. So yeah, give us some background on on what it is and how it works, and sure, uh, and maybe we can talk about a couple of projects. You bet, you bet. So um, about twenty years ago, um, there was a product Arrow Seal, and that was a way to seal ductwork. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, I was familiar with that. Yeah, so that's the mother company. So basically the same technology. You pressurize your space and you atomize the sealant and um, nice and simple. And it uses, um, 
physics to accomplish a goal, which I think is awesome. So, um, so that's the, 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 um, parent company and, um, the sealant that's used in AeroSeal is actually different than AeroBarrier because AeroBarrier, uh, you know, building pressures are a lot less than ductwork, right? So, so that's, there's a little bit of difference there, but the technology is basically the same. Um, and so then, like I said, in uh, 2018 is when they released. And um, uh, we, the sealant is also kind of important because that was one of my major questions. Like, okay, what are we, what are we using to seal buildings with, right? Yeah. And um, it's uh, low, ultra low VOC, um, waterborne acrylic. And it's basically um, the, the sealant was based on Tremco's uh, fluid applied WRV. And so Tremco has been around for, for quite a while. Okay. And uh, so that's kind of what the, what the sealant's based, based from. Um, and then, um, yeah, like I said, uh, we're now sealing buildings and uh, it's pretty cool how, how uh, effective we can be. Yeah, I heard it, um, you know, on the podcast, they were talking about it in ductwork and, and, you know, that all made perfect sense. Like, yeah, that's, that's great. Cause you know, you can never really seal ductwork that well, and they've been doing it for a long time. Um, you know, and on the podcast, they were talking about, um, you know, VOCs and people being, you know, concerned about it. And they did a bunch of testing and they only had one spike in the VOCs and someone was like, Oh, it's your product. And they found out that, um, in this location that they had it, that somebody was painting that day or something you know it had nothing to do with the product that they had tested everywhere else because that was my first thought too like oh well what is this stuff because usually when you're talking sealants and adhesives and this new stuff you know there can be all kinds of nasty stuff in it and so i was like oh okay so um then they started talking about doing it maine has just a ton of old housing stock and Mm -hmm. i'm not sure that it's really appropriate for big holes um Mm -hmm. so i don't know if you can talk a little bit are you doing it more in new construction are you doing it in in existing construction and then if you're doing it in existing construction is it like deep energy retrofits where maybe you've taken off the interior um sheetrock or plaster or whatever you have um or is it something that can be done sort of post sheetrock but so like when when's the best time to do it yeah that's it's a good question so the answer is yes (laughs) um we uh new construction's easier um because uh, the main issue is when we stop pressurizing um whatever's in the air will fall to the ground, right? And so mm-hmm. new construction, we have subfloor, there's no finished material in. We, uh, we mask off any intentional um, penetrations or you know, like ventilation, like HVAC and, and operable sure. windows and, and potentially even a fixed window that has like some horizontal um, grids or any, anything horizontal that w- could accept like, uh, you know, if you're gonna, paint, you know, you want to cover your horizontal surfaces so you don't get overspray. So that's kind of the, the, the prep, you know, uh, simplified. So the, the more you get to a finished home, the more you'll have to cover, right? So we have done um, some finished homes as well as some occupied homes. And so obviously the occupied 
uh, homes are a lot more uh, labor intensive to to protect things. Yeah, um, I would yeah. I would imagine that that's that's a challenge. When, I mean, even just if we're doing a retrofit and we're blowing in dense packed cellulose where you can get dust in the air, you know, we're telling everybody to cover everything. So I can't imagine, you know, uh, here's here's this adhesive that would be a little bit sticky. I assume. Mm-hmm you know, when it, when it sort of lands on things. So you're taping and covering and, yeah, um, you know, doing a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It definitely makes more sense in, you know, existing, uh, deep energy retrofit or, right. or a uh, new construction. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, there are a couple of cases when we did do the occupied homes, they, um, their existing building was very, very leaky. It was like, you know, 20 ACH. Um, and we, we live in climate zone five. And so, we get some pretty cold temperatures yep. and, and uh, you know, those cases actually are, are pretty cool because I think we did maybe three occupied homes and like the very first night um, they, they emailed us and said, you know, we, we feel a difference already in not losing temperature over overnight. You know, they wake, woke up the next morning and said that the building felt way more comfortable. So that's, speaks to um the fact that it actually works when you live in you know because like we do energy models and and um on all of our builds and we know how important as far as energy savings but the livability of a, of a tight home is um you know you yeah we like feeling uh what would it yeah, we've been talking about that for years. And, you know, in fact, people are still like, oh, buildings need to breathe. And I'm like, no, right. people need to breathe. You <laughs> yes. know, building needs to be sealed. And, you know, we have to be careful about the air movement through and then where are yeah. you bringing that air in? And so um, yeah. are you doing blower door testing afterwards? So if you're at 20 ACH beforehand, do you, do you know how much you reduced it? Because 20 yeah. ACH to me, I'm thinking like, wow, okay. Right. That's a pretty leaky old house. Yeah. And this product was able to to really seal that that like I would have thought there would be really big gaps places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I would have been thinking like a quarter inch or less would be kind of ideal for this product, but maybe not. Yeah. So so ideally uh, half an inch and less. Um, and you are correct, right? At twenty C twenty ACH, there's gonna be lots of a mixed bag of, of leakage, right? Sure. So we, we go through, and so, you know, obviously we're, we're not just arrow barrier, you know, vendors, we don't just apply arrow barrier. We go through and we find leaks. And so the big ones will use other products like uh, uh, maybe some tapes, like European tapes on the, on the big stuff or yeah. some can foam, uh, can foam to, you know, that that's usually the easiest, uh, material to use. Uh, and so we'll get the big stuff beforehand. And uh, to answer your question, yes, uh, part of the, the process actually is uh, the way we pressurize is we use a blower door. The blower door, the fan is, is modified in that it has uh, three heaters attached to it. And okay. so, um, you know, it's, we pressurize, so the blower is on reverse than typical. Typically, we, we do a, a depressurization when we do a blower door test, but and I know a lot of people do both. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so we pressurize with the blower door. Um, and uh, we have a, a computer that controls everything and it monitors humidity and, and temperature and kind of gets ideal conditions. And so we get a reading every 60 seconds, I think. 
um, of where we are. So we, we do a test, pre-test, and you know, we see 20 ACH, and we go, wow, that's pretty leaky. And uh, we might go through and look for some bigger, some bigger holes. Yeah. And as, as we start sealing, we just see that, the, that we get a CFM reading, we get an ACH reading, um, and, and, and like I said, temperatures and, and humidity. And so, um, like in, in a, an existing home, we definitely have the conversation of, you know, what are we going to do for ventilation? But if they start at, at 20 ACH, we took, you know, we'll go down to like three or two or three, and that's a huge improvement. So yeah. we'll know where we are as we go. And uh, once we reach our target, we shut it down and um, we'll do another kind of final test. And then we hand the, the builder or homeowner a certificate that says you started here and you finished here. And it gives the kind of CFM improvement and kind of all that stuff. And, so the uh, material that you're using then with it, you know, you mentioned that it was an acrylic and, and it seals kind of all these gaps and cracks. Is it, is it a, uh, vapor permeable or is it uh you know it's, it's definitely an air barrier which is fantastic and it improves that um does it concentrate only kind of in the leaky areas or just kind of coat all surfaces great great question um it does not coat all surfaces which is kind of cool uh so it won't stick to a, a vertical surface it'll only collect around um, a hole where there's leakage where air is uh, kind of turbulent air goes, right? So if it's going through a hole, it's kind of turbulent and then the sealant will build up on itself and, and seal up the hole and then stop going through because it sealed it. And so, um, yeah, the only, the only place where we have like a coating, if you will, is on horizontal surfaces. And that's why we cover on existing stuff. Um, but yeah, so you're not left with, um, you are not left with a bunch of product everywhere. Um, and the product is vapor uh, permeable, but the uh, the amount of product that you're left with is not enough that it's um, it really matters actually, right? Because like if we're sealing a drywall, then it's your drywall that uh, really matters whether or not it's vapor open or closed, right? And vapor uh, right, right. Vapor. So you're in climate zone five. We're in climate zone six. You know yeah. we're always concerned about like where's the vapor going vapor movement you know now we've sealed up all of these holes do we you know are we moving it or not moving so that that's great that it doesn't stick to all of your surfaces it's not like right. this it's not like spray paint you know where it just yeah. sticks to anything um, exactly so exactly which is what a lot of people think <laughs> right because you think that and you're just like oh you're just blowing sticky stuff around in the air and it's just sticky on everything but um which makes it such a fascinating product um, right yes it's like oh it, it it works in this one instance for this very specific thing. And um, that's why you keep hearing about it. And we're like, okay, that sounds like too good to be true, you know? <laughs> so exactly what uh, I thought. Yeah. So the, but then you, you know, you've seen it, you've used it, you've tested it, you know, you've checked it out and you're like, no, this, this actually really works well. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's going to cost more money and be more labor intensive if you're doing it in an existing structure. But if you're yeah. doing it and, and if you can get from 20 ACH to three, I mean, there are plenty of people who can't get to, to three just, you know, building a code built house. And so, right. you know, getting from 20 to three in an existing house is just, I mean, that's phenomenal. Right. Um, and 
those of us in the building science world know that air leakage is just a huge impact on, you know, heating costs, heating uh, or probably cooling costs too. If you're in a cooling yeah. climate, we're mostly in, in heating climates here. So yeah. are you doing a lot more? Um, so, so some of the pushback that we have um, here in the mm -hmm. Northeast is, you know, creating that air barrier on the ceiling um, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, a lot of times like the sheet rocker only wants to come once. So we, okay. we need to have insulation already in the wall, but then we don't have insulation in the ceiling, but I want to air seal and run my blower door test and see how leaky my structure is before right. I have any insulation. It. So it's like this catch 22 <laughs> on like who's coming when and who's doing, yeah. you know, what. And so in your new construction projects, are you seeing, um, you know, are they putting some kind of webbing on the ceiling or plywood on the ceiling first and you're sealing the shell and mm -hmm. then, and then they're coming back and insulating or, um, is it kind of a combination and sometimes you have this on your, on your roof structure? Mm -hmm. Um, like you've said many times, it depends, <laughs> right? Right. So it depends. <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> sentence. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. For everything. Right. Um, Yes, yeah, so most of the stuff that we do um, has been at a kind of hybrid. So um, most attics are ventilated, right? And so right. then yes, you need some sort of uh, rigid surface and it's usually, um, it's usually drywall, right? So we'll, they will have the drywall or break up their, um, their trips and come out, hang the ceiling, fire tape the ceiling, pull off, and we do our thing and then and then you just back up and at that point we do not have insulation in the walls right, right. so yeah so right after all the roughs are done all the penetrations are done then uh then we would come in and so in that case so your walls are are exposed the ceiling is is drywalled and fire taped we seal and leave and then they kind of go back to insulation drywall and so on uh those uh, cases are more custom builders. They're not going to be your production guys. Um, right. So in a production world, we'll come in at drywall. And uh, what helps the schedule is if we kind of come in in between coats of mud. Usually the first coat uh, stays, um, tends to stay wet a little bit longer and they won't necessarily be able to work the next day. And so that's actually a fine time for us to come in. It sticks even when you have wet, like if you have, so I don't know, we just were, we've been working on a house and, you know, here it mm -hmm. is January. And so the relative humidity in the inside of the house is, you know, so high after that yeah. first coat of mud. Um, and so you don't have difficulty applying the aero barrier when the relative humidity is really high. Um, I guess that was one of my other questions too, that I was yeah. thinking about earlier when you were talking, which is, um, in, in the backing up and that is if you don't have insulation or you don't have heat yet in your structure, mm -hmm. um, if, you're, if you're getting to do it during the framing stage, is there a point at which it gets too cold to apply it also? So I know you said there, there were heaters uh, as part of yeah. your pressurization and your blower door test. Like does that structure itself need to be 50 degrees? Like you don't paint when it's below 50 degrees right. or whatever. Right. So the, the process will still work if it's humid or cold but it will take longer. And so um, at, you know, 40 degrees or, or um, you know, if it's 20 degrees outside, we kind of set up a auxiliary heat um, outside of the building. We'll try to preheat the, the building as, as much as we can. But like you said, there's no insulation, there's exposed framing, so it doesn't stay 
doesn't stay in the, the building for very long, but we'll, we'll kind of preheat the building a little bit and then we'll create almost like a, a tent, if you will, outside of the building. That's, and that's where we are during the process. We're outside the building. And so we'll kind of create a, uh, we don't do ice fishing here, but I'm sure there's, there's plenty of, of folks, uh, way up but, north that do that. <laughs> yes, there's plenty of ice fishing here. Although it's been one of those really weird years where ice fishing hasn't been as big this year because it's like one day it'll be negative seven and like two days later it'll be 45 degrees. So it's yeah. been kind of crazy, but yeah, usually yeah. lots of ice, ice fishing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, some of the, the, the uh, vendors in, in uh, Canada, you know, they use their, their ice fishing uh, tent or I don't know what they're called. But so we create this kind of a, a tent, if you will, a uh, little booth outside the building and we'll add some heat into that space and um you know we'll use electric heat to not add more humidity um but the the short answer is we can still accomplish our, our goals it just takes us longer and longer means uh it's still a day it's maybe a long day but it's still a day so um also depends you know where we start you know how, how leaky we are to start but um we've had a couple of jobs where we're kind of ran a little bit too late we're like okay let's shut it down come back tomorrow because it's getting too late um but that um again you know it's just it takes longer but it's still doable right and so uh, obviously it's going to take longer for prep work and stuff when you're doing yeah. existing construction but are you know are you doing houses that are you know 1500 square feet or are you doing 4,000 square feet and and does it I mean, some of it is probably, you know, as we know in the building science world, you can have a 1500 square foot house that has 20 ACH and you can have a 4,000 square foot house that has like one ACH. So yeah. I'm sure some of it doesn't matter on the size or the volumetric of the building, but you know, what's kind of the traditional that you're seeing, you know, in, in Oregon as far as like size and, and volume. Yeah. Um, so pretty much across the board. Um, I think our average, uh, building sizes are about 2,000 square feet. I think what is what we're seeing. Pretty much national the, average, yeah. I yep. think so, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, we can seal, uh, we, you know, we've sealed ADUs that were, you know, a couple hundred square feet. And we've sealed, uh, us personally, we've done a close to 6,000 square foot house. Um, and there's a couple of guys who have done some bigger stuff. Um, and, and like, um, you know, when you do a blower door on a really big structure with a lot of volume, sometimes you need a, a second blower door sure. you know, to, get, to get your pressure. And so the same applies. So when we seal, we pressurize to 100 pascals. And so we have a second blower door for those situations where we have a bigger, bigger building. Um, but it, it still works. So as long as we can pressurize, we can seal. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you economics questions and I'm not yeah. going to ask you to actually tell us what you, what it costs to do it, but you know, in, in terms of, of doing this, because you've been a high performance builder for a while now. So you've, you've probably like all of us, you've tried kind of everything. You've done all kinds of things, uh, you know, to, to try to get to, to how you're achieving it. Um, is, is the price based on the, um, the starting ACH and the amount of product that you have to put into it? Um, is some of it just like, you know, in order to come to the site and set up and do whatever. So, so how is, is, you know, if I'm calling you and asking you to come yeah. out and do this air sealing, like how, how's it cost? And, yeah. um, and what, you know, what's the percentage there? Is it, you know, 
one percent of the cost of construction you know like typical air sealing things are usually pretty cheap you know mm -hmm. a, a guy some labor and you know do you swap out your wrb for a fully adhesive wrb or you know you caulking gun and and in a couple of hours so you know where does it come in in comparison to some of the traditional ways that somebody might do air sealing sure um i have found um, as a high performance builder, we would spend quite a bit of time and money and using AeroVare is definitely less, especially if you take into account the time factor. So we can get a, a, a building, our average start on new construction, let's say is, uh, it's somewhere between five and 10 ACH. Um, and we'll go down to one. And like I said, in a day. So Previously, you know, we'd get our buildings, you know, down between one and two, and it was inconsistent, and um, one and two is great, right? But we right. spend, I would have like two guys going around with, with tapes on the exterior of sheathing for like a solid week. And so, um, and then I would have to blow a door and see where we were and try to find the spots that we missed, right? Right. And so, if you take into account the time that you would save and the um, consistency that you get. Um, I don't think you can compare it. And what I've found is I haven't heard someone give me a dollar amount of how much they spend on air sealing uh, using all the other methods, right? Because it takes more than just one product. Um, Absolutely. It would be really interesting to kind of go through a really detailed construction uh, after construction and kind of find out, you know, yeah. how much time did you spend, you know, or product yeah. did you spend uh, doing this? You know, how many tubes of caulking did you actually yeah. need, you know, yeah. and, and how long were you, cause we can look at it in, you know, if we're doing an energy audit and weatherization and we're only doing air sealing and insulation, like, you know, how long your guys are there yeah. and you know how many tubes of caulking that you used. Yeah. But when you're doing new construction, I mean, you're talking, the siding guy might be putting tape up and you know, your, your guys might be walking around and sealing on the holes and like, Oh, then yeah. the roofer came and the roofer used his staging and now we have quarter size holes in our exterior sheathing. So you got somebody else going around taping all the quarter size holes from, you know, and so there's all those little process things that happen on the job site that, that maybe you just did, you know, and, right. and you didn't exactly. necessarily keep track of it. So it would be really interesting to kind of evaluate it because I'm sure that you get pushback initially where people are like, yeah. Oh, that sounds expensive, but it's the same. We just recorded a pretty good house webinar on economics. And, you know, one of the builders on there is like, everyone's like, Oh, nope, these guys are coming in. They're going to be way too expensive. And he's like, mm -hmm. wait a second. You know, like yeah. I'm going to do it right. It's going to have all the savings in it. Like when we, when we run the numbers between, you know, building our standard of code built and, you know, this high performance, it's like one to 2% difference. And, yeah. you know, the savings are, you know, are huge. And, and, um, so it, I don't, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast and I've talked right. about it with other people. It's like, we're not taking into consideration all of the things that go into it. Like if you want to say, we're going to improve the, the structure by, you know, building a double stud wall and putting in 12 inches of insulation, you have to count all the extra studs and the labor for them to build that part. So that, you know, it's not as simple as just saying, well, going from six inches of insulation to 12 inches of insulation will save me this amount of money because right. that's not really an apples to apples comparison. So, right. um, so I'm sure that you get 
pushback for that and like, oh, that, you know, that sounds expensive. Right. Right. Because we then we look like a net ad. Right. Because right. they don't have a line item. Um, not a lot of builders will have a line item for air sealing. Right. Because there's multiple things that add that get you there. Your your house wrap or your WRB. Right. And then your drywall. And, and you know, people use spray foam and if you follow me uh, you can see that i'm not a big fan of spray foam but <laughs> i'm not either <laughs> uh, for many reasons but yes. uh as far as let's just say air sealing alone you know we went in after a house that was completely spray foamed uh walls roof the, the whole thing and we couldn't pressurize we couldn't pressurize because the garage the house um that area was wasn't blocked off and it wasn't um, sealed. And so, you know, they left their fire blocking out because they were going to fill it with insulation, which would take care of your, your fire blocking. You don't need fire blocking if it's full of insulation. But my point is that when that house would be completed, the spray foam would be getting credit for the air sealing that drywall will be doing at those locations. Right. So if we couldn't even pressurize, um, spray foam did not seal, right. It didn't take care of their air sealing. Um, and well, yeah. And if you, you know, you're, you're like me, not a fan of spray foam. Um, yeah. honestly, if spray foam went away, that would be okay with me. There are a couple mm -hmm. of instances where it might be the only thing that you can use. I don't know if you guys have a bunch of old rebel stone foundations, yeah. but we have those and that, you know, sure. sometimes that's the, the only thing that you can do, but, um, otherwise, you know, no spray foam, but you know, all the spray foam manufacturers are you know, they're building these new construction. Oh, just we'll spray foam it. And their blower door number might be really good on day one, but what happens when that dries out and you have this hard material and then it separates from all the things, you know, and if you, if you just use spray foam as your, yeah. your air seal, you, you haven't really thought about your building. And like you said, they left the part open between yeah. the garage. And so it's like, you haven't taken that extra step to think about, you know, how are all the other things connected together but um i don't know what version of the code you guys are up to they're trying to adopt the iecc 2015 here which i mm -hmm. think is you know ach of five but mm -hmm. in 2009 which we've had for a long time they didn't make people actually meet the ach of seven so we're basically going from not having done anything and letting yeah. people kind of do whatever to to five which yeah. in the high performance building world five is like a no-go you're like five <laughs> what's that right yeah um yeah. but for a lot of these production builders um you know five might be a, a tough challenge like yeah. you got two by sixes with roxel and vinyl siding on the outside like oh, i don't know <laughs> i don't know what's gonna happen here yeah. um and so i would think that a product like like aero barrier might be a good way and maybe you'll see more of this as the codes continue to improve for for the rest of them to sort of jump into this game without having a huge learning curve of all the other stuff that we've spent a ton of time and a ton of money you know trying to figure out all that air sealing yeah yeah no that's a good point i mean um <laughs> we might need another podcast to talk about our organs building code but um, <laughs> okay, we could probably talk for an entire day about mains and uh, you know all the things that I'm not happy about. <laughs> we actually went backwards um, last um, code cycle. Um, if you chose that that path, um, you we had a, a six ACH requirement. Um, 
with testing, which is great, but like hardly anyone did it because they didn't really know how to get there, right? Uh, right. Your production guys. And then the this last code change, they actually removed the um, the testing part of it. And so they, and I don't even think they have an actual ACH you have to hit. They just say you have to air seal and you can use products like seal seal, caulking and this and that, um, which is pretty mind boggling to me that, um, that they would do that. But that's, so that's where we are. <laughs> so that makes yeah, things a little bit more challenging. We're at seven because they have not fully adopted 2015 yet. We're at seven technically. Um, with visual inspection like how do you know if you're at seven if with a visual inspection like what does that right. actually tell you i don't know um and then any towns with less than four thousand people didn't have to adopt a code which yeah. i don't understand that at all especially with maine because you know some of the the highest or wealthiest areas might be a small town on the coast. So mm -hmm. I don't know what the number of people in your town has to do with whether or not you adopt the code other than we have plenty of towns who share a code officer. So you've got mm -hmm. one person who is just doing multiple towns. They don't know they're, you know, they're doing the best they can. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I don't know if you, that's a, a scenario that you have at all in Oregon, but we have a lot of small towns, some that don't even have, it's like the wild, wild west here in some places. <laughs> I was talking to um, another architect that I've been doing some building science mentorship with and um, she was like, you know, what do I need to provide here? And I said, well, the town that you're building in, you know, they might require a building section and you're going to need this and this and this on it. And she's like, no, I don't need to do that. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I can submit this as it is. And I'm thinking, you yeah. know, she's just showing me, you know, her, her CAD file at the time. And I'm like, there's not even any dimensions on it. Like, what? <laughs> they're, they're like, yeah, that looks good. I'm like, yep. how do you say that looks good? You don't even know what's, I, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very similar in most of, uh, of, of Oregon. There's a few pockets. What's funny is people think of Oregon, they think of Portland and they think of it being pretty progressive. Right. And that's right. Portland's progressive. Um, there's some other spots where, where they are. And actually we do a lot of business in, in Portland uh, for sure, but that is not code driven by any means. Uh, an interesting point is the state of Washington. They're looking at, at changing their code and um, we are getting, they have, I think right now, and I could be wrong, but I think they have like a, a six ACH requirement to get CFO. Um, and we've had, uh, us personally had one project where they couldn't get it. They were like over 10 ACH, um, for multiple reasons, but, but they're at finish trying to get CFO and you know, that he couldn't figure out how to, how to get it down. So we went in and did our thing and, and got him there. Um, but, um, that is starting to, to actually be a factor. And so now we're getting calls from, from builders cause they're looking at, they do a, a point system in mm -hmm. Washington. And so, uh, you know, if you get three ACH, uh, it's like one point and they need to get six points. And so there's a, a multiple things that they can do. If you get two ACH, you get two points and rightfully so you need to have balanced ventilation. So, right. um, I think a lot of your listeners are probably very familiar that if you're, if you're going to tighten up, you definitely need to ventilate and, um, 
you know, we can talk fair. about ventilation if you want. That's actually a, a big hot point too, because so they're talking yeah. about this in the code and what they're doing, and and they're I forget what the 2015 has in it, um, and they're pushing for um, the 2015 code to actually adopt ASHRAE 62.2 mm-hmm. uh, 2016, which is not I think what I think 2012 is or 20 I don't I'm not sure which version of it it, it has in there, but. Um, there's still a big, big shift here um, in Maine between um, exhaust-only ventilation with a passive air intake and mm. um, and balanced ventilation. And the biggest reason for that for us is um, the only people who really commission their systems is Zender, and mm-hmm. Zender tends to be just more expensive yeah. um, of a system. You know, where you can get zone, you can get the Brone or the Life Breath or mm. um, used to be Venmar. I think Brown bought Venmar. Um, and those people will balance the system at the unit itself, but they don't always test all of the exhaust ports. And then what do you have? What happens if you've got something that's crushed or it's, you know, leaking air into, you know, maybe your unintentionally conditioned basement or something. And so um, that's been a big issue here, um, especially I'm an architect, but I'm a HERS rater as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we do a lot of testing and so I can, you know, we go and we test the exhaust and the positive pressure ports and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm not an ERV or HRV installer. So, you know, I, I can test for what I think that it's doing, <laughs> but, you know, but, but see, that's been the biggest um, pushback on balanced ventilation. Um, personally, I think that it makes so much sense to supply air to where you want it to be supplied yeah. and exhaust it from where you want it to be exhausted and yeah. um, to actually provide, you know, actual fresh air versus, you know, even with the passive air intake, like we're going to put the passive air intake under the stove so that it's not blowing, you know, negative five degrees on you when that thing needs to open up because, you know, you're running a low level ventilation. Um, But like, when was the last time you looked under your stove? I I have two dogs. I'm, you know, I I know there's, there's some, some chase bunnies under my stove. So you got some extra uh, filters on yours then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Well, that's like, like you've, you've said many times, right. You know, buildings, a a system, right. And so air ceilings part of the system and we need to look at buildings as a whole. Um, Unfortunately, most Builders that do most of the volume don't even know what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> that was part of the reason why I started teaching a building science class. Um, at first, when I first started teaching it back in 2013, I was teaching the construction tech department and the architecture department. Um, and then there was a bunch of changes. I'd like to get back into the, teaching it with the, the construction tech department as well. But um, I've been teaching this building science class on Thursday nights to the design department. And, you know, I put it up and I'm talking and all of a sudden you can kind of see them and they, they've, their <laughs> eyes have glazed over and I'm like, okay, I lost you. Take it back. You know, <laughs> so, yep. you know, so we, I, I stop and I'm like, you know, first I, I want to talk about, you know, carbon offsets and, you know, doing low carbon construction. And I'm like, wait, let's go back and talk about moisture migration and yeah. why you might have, you know, wet sheet rock or wet sheathing in February and, and how that works. And like, let's go all the way back to the science, like conduction, convection, radiation, (laughs) (laughs) and ways of vapor movement, you know? So it it seems like, um, you know, the production builders 
they seem to understand this whole concept of like keep the water out from outside. Yeah. Yeah. Although I see that there's lots of people who do zero overhangs. And mm -hmm. I think that's just like one bad flashing detail away from a major issue, but right. that's, it's a style and people like it. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're in Oregon, so you probably have a lot of water. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot of snow. Yeah. Well, actually where we are, we're in the high desert. Uh, we're oh, central yeah. Oregon high desert, so we're pretty dry. Oh, okay. Uh, um, but, but yeah, obviously we do have some, uh, very, uh, high humidity areas like you know portland and eugene and stuff so yeah for sure. yeah yeah sure 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 so i didn't even ask you which would and it's funny because i even said on the podcast you know the other day about how you know there's eight climate zones here but yeah. even in the eight climate zones between hot and and cold is you know humid and dry so mm -hmm. you could be in a hot but dry location you could be yeah. in a cold and dry location like, yeah. so it's so many things to take into you know account when you're when you're thinking about it and um this this week's podcast was actually with an architect who practices in florida and mm -hmm. to me this is just totally backwards thinking because it's it's like a swamp and it's hot right. all the time <laughs> i'm like oh what would you do with all that water right Right. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I've had that thought before. It's like, okay, in those hot, humid climates, you know, the, the vapor drive is opposite. And, you know, how do you, you know, you have to look, look at things differently. Um, yeah, so is yeah. Barrier. Uh, so obviously it works great in, in your cold, dry climate. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about it in, you know, moist or wet locations and, yeah. you know, relative humidity. But in, in a hot and humid climate, is it's still stopping air movement. So yeah. obviously it's, it still works for what you'd want it to do. I mean, we should right. be sealing these buildings no matter what. In fact, it might be a great idea because one of the things that um, she mentioned and that I've run into uh, when I did a project in Texas was, um, you know, you don't want to open the windows at all mm -hmm. <laughs> in the summertime because you don't want any of that moisture on the inside of your building. Right. And so I would think that stopping even more air movement would potentially be really helpful for dehumidification like maybe the dehumidifier wouldn't work quite as hard if it yeah. was a little less leaky yep right you know like um it's funny um the conversations I, I have lately are it's all about control right you're controlling the air movement if you can stop airflow then you can control um where your air comes from and and is it humid is it not humid do you need to remove humidity and so on um you know our our climate you know for the most part it's pretty good it's sunny and but there's times when it's really cold and there's forest fires there's uh where it's really smoky and there's you know pollen there's lots of there's lots of reasons uh to not open your windows you know if if the building is built right the quality of air should be a lot better inside than outside i think with all the pollutants and stuff um obviously fresh air is great but it's not always fresh fresh you know there's all kinds of well it's it's definitely not always fresh and the fact that you brought up the you know forest fires and and everything is you know a good point here in maine people think like oh you know we don't do a lot of cooling you know they open their windows yeah. um the air quality is is pretty good but um we're having more and more people who have seasonal allergies and then yeah. you know like it's great. It's beautiful outside, but if you're allergic to whatever is blooming, then that HRV or ERV with HEPA filter on it 
is going to be huge for you. And so, and, you know, even speaking or windows open or windows not open is we spend 90% of our time inside. Shouldn't we be trying to control the quality of the air? Like, um, that's one of my favorite questions to ask. And, you know, if I'm doing a presentation or I'm teaching my classes, like how many people have been in their attic? (laughs) You You don't get a lot of hands. And I'm like, well, if you went up there, it's dirty. It's, you know, if you're lucky, it doesn't have any, you know, depending on your climate zone in Texas, there were bats, but you know, here, (laughs) Uh you know, bird droppings or mouse droppings or anything else, but dust, like, and when you say your house is breathing, that's what you're actually breathing. Like you're drawing that air in through, through that insulation and you're drawing it in through cracks or, um, you know, here with us wet and, and moldy basement spaces yeah. that, you know, just can't, can't seem to get, get sealed. And so, um, do you have any applications where you've used it in basements as well? Yes. Is that Yeah, we have for sure. Um, we don't have a lot of basements uh, in central Oregon. Um, we have a lot of lava and so to, to dig, um, to dig out of basements, not that common, but we for sure do. Uh, We've we've sealed several um, projects. I'm trying to think of one in particular, we we isolated the the basement. We sealed the basement by itself from the living space, and then did a second seal for the living space to try to isolate those two. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, and then it, it kind of that same concept works really well in multifamily, right? If you seal one apartment or condo um, from the others. Um, you, you stop all kinds of, you know, cooking smells and um, other odors and sound is another one. You know, it's not going to stop that low vibration sound, but that mid and high pitch, uh, like voice, you know, yeah. that that works really well. Uh, and so I see a really good application um, uh, for multifamily. Yeah, no, I think that would be great for multifamily or it just made me think, uh, you know, way back to my college days and living in the dorms and you'd sit next yeah. to the outlet and it would, be, it would be backed up to the room next door to you. So you hear everything that went on in the room next door because you hear all that stuff through the outlets. Just, yes. I, I don't know why that popped into my head, but you know, kind of little little chuckle like yep. back in the day. But, yeah. you know, yeah, with multifamily housing is that's one of the biggest you know, issues that you have or complaints that you have is like your next door neighbor is a smoker or, you know, your next door neighbor um, has some, some kind of cooking something that they make, they fry something every day or they always eat fish or, you know, they, they, they cook with a lot of curry or, you know, something that transfers between in, in, in your ventilation system. Is it just going through your walls? Is it, so I could see there being a huge application for that. Although, um, I wonder, you know, after doing blower door testing for, you know, multifamily structures, it was always really interesting to figure out how to get all the blower doors going to get a pressurization. So I wonder how, you know, do, does that move you up to like a, some kind of bigger application um, than, than running it with a blower door tester to sort of tap out at like a certain size building mm-hmm. or a certain number of units. But yeah, I think that would be, um, it would be a really great application for it. And, and I feel like because they only rolled this out in 2018, it's still kind of new, but everything that I've heard about it has just been so good. I think we're going to yeah. be seeing it 
more and more. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I'm 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 a vendor, and I totally agree. But but it you know if I put my my high performance builder hat on, um, it, it only makes sense. I mean that that's why I invested in it because um, the, my favorite thing about it is it it takes out the human factor. Um, yeah. And so if you can use physics to air seal a building, I mean I, I'm <laughs> I'm all about it. You know because humans are human. They, you know, they miss things. They have bad days, good days. Um, and so you, you know, if you're relying on someone's, uh, attention to detail, uh, yeah, you'll get, you'll get some people that are really good and they can, they can find every hole and leak and they can do a really good job and people do it. Right. Right. But your average, um, you know, average person, uh, they, you know, they're not going to find every, every hole and crack. And so, well, but I also think that, you know, uh, I love those of us who are in the high performance world who are doing it in spite of whatever legislation in our states or our country is is saying that we do. And, and that's great. But we're we're really a small percentage. Um, yes. This product is going to have a much bigger reach, I think, um, yes. with production builders and, and other people who are saying, now I need to meet this code. And I don't know how to do that. And they're not going to, like you said, take the time, you know, either that or building will just get so exorbitantly expensive that, you know, people would stop, stop building, which honestly building is a luxury and maybe we should think about that, but that's a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we have but, different podcasts now. <laughs> yeah, we got We need like six more podcasts. I think it's great. I love that you're a high performance builder. Come on all the time. That would be, that would be fantastic. I, I'm really enjoying talking to you. And I know you're an arrow bearer vendor, but you're a high performance builder first. And so, you know, that you, you didn't just say, Oh, that sounds like a great product. I'm going to get into that industry. Right. You really had a background behind it. So you can stand behind what you're doing. But I think that we have to be thinking on a broader spectrum. We can't be thinking, you know, one house at a time with those one good builder. We have to be thinking like multifamily buildings, meeting passive house uh, for for some locations for for doing that. But um, but also for all this other production building that's going on is like that's how you're going to have a major impact. And the more people are doing it, the more the cost will come down. Like solar panels. 20 years ago were $5 a watt, you know, <laughs> and now, it, and now you can, you know, 26% tax credit and you can get them for, you know, a thousand dollars a panel and yeah. they pay back in six, eight, 10 years. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, every new technology takes a little bit to get off the ground, but I, I can see how this might, might have a pretty major impact on both the existing building stock that we have um you know because like i said in maine we've got a lot of old stuff <laughs> yeah uh, and yeah, we gotta do bet. something about that and you know we've talked about that um at our bs and beer uh and other high performance building groups mm -hmm. is you know at what point do you stop doing more renovation because you're you're just using so much more carbon to to renovate it than than you are like i don't know in Oregon if you do this but we still heat with number two fuel oil <laughs> mm -hmm. in Maine and so you know at what point it, is it like you've done enough you can't put any more products in it because of you know where it came from how long it's going to last what it's made of you know how it was manufactured 
all that stuff um, that you just kind of keep doing what you're doing with something like this could have a huge impact and, you know, be very little, um, you know, on the environmental impact of that. So it's all low VOCs. Um, I don't know where it's made. I guess I didn't ask you. Is it? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I think it's made in Ohio. Um, I think that's where Tremco is. I know that's where um, Aero Barrier is. Um, and Tremco is still making um, the sealant for us. So I believe, I believe it's in Ohio. It's in the States. It's in the States. Yeah. So yeah. it's not coming from China. Correct. Um, yeah. Although shipping on a boat is not as bad as, you know, yeah. some of the other methods of yeah. getting things here, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're working on kind of some different distribution hubs and kind of to help. Yeah. I was going to ask that is, you know, now I think you said they're up to, what did you say? 90. About 90, I think. Yeah. yeah, vendors, um, and, you know, and so as as that number keeps growing, you know, the the supply and demand um, will probably grow, and yeah. you probably see them have more distribution areas. Yep. But yeah, I think we could we can with ninety vendors, we can cover some pretty good ground. I'm sure the the kind of middle states. Um, I don't think there's a lot of good rep- representation there. I don't think there's a lot of draw there. Um, which is unfortunate, which kind of goes back to what you're saying, you know, the production builders and, um, you know, it's interesting because like right now for us personally, most of our business is the high performance builders and the custom, uh, custom builders that are doing this in spite of uh, what the code says. Right. Right. Um, And like, uh, like we were saying, you know, the, the, the code is a push, right? The code pushes builders to build better and, I don't think that's a bad thing because obviously it's needed. Um, I think it's more important to give, uh, you know, we need to build better homes. Um, you know, how long do these, these like track houses last? They, maybe 10 years and they, they really look like they're falling apart compared to Europe where they're hundreds of years old. And, and um, you know, I think that's a better way of, of building. Um, yeah. We, we've just been talking about that over and over again is, you know, the United States and Japan likes to push things down every, you know, 20 years or so. Yeah. And like, how is that a, a better scenario or, you know, part of the reason why, because um, I think square footage is just a number and nobody should have basements. And, you know, those are just kind of my hot buttons, but, yeah. you know, they say like the national average is 2000 square feet. And you, you kind of wonder if that's because that's what the production builders are building and people don't like them. Mm-hmm. all that much after they've lived there for five years. So they're, they're moving on. So they're the only things that are, are continually for sale. And so yeah. it sort of skews the market perspective of what do people actually want? And, you know, right. here uh, we have maybe five green appraisers in the state of Maine who can kind of understand the value of, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of these improvements. Uh, like the first house that we did in our five lot solar subdivision back in 2015, like the appraiser wasn't going to give them anything for the 20 solar panels on the roof. And it's like, it costs literally $11 to live here. What do you mean the solar panels add no value? Um, And so, but, but I think part of that is, you know, people go and they live in these high performance homes and the air quality is good and the sunlight is great and they're warm to live in and they don't sell them. So there's nothing on the market to use as a comparison to say, oh yeah, there's, there's that value to that. And so, um, I think 
I think it's good that the code is pushing people to build better. I'm a little bit concerned that we might go through uh, through a challenging period where they're trying to meet the code and they don't know how to do it and they don't understand the science behind it. And we could, you know, like back in the seventies when they had sick building syndrome, because they're like, well, we're going to make everything tight. And then they didn't realize that like, Oh, you've trapped all the moisture or all the radon inside. And now people are getting sick. It's a worry a little bit about the longevity of the structures. Um, even here, they were going through, you know, the code and they were like, oh, we're going to put continuous exterior insulation as a requirement. And I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. uh, that would mean a double stud wall would never pass because the continuous right. insulation is not on the exterior. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you know, it's just, you know, minor wording changes, you know, to right. make sure that people are, you know, but they kind of didn't even think about that implication or or here you know showing my class last night the dew point calculator and where you know a vapor barrier like if you've got rigid insulation it's not very vapor permeable if you put that on the outside of your building if you don't put enough of it on the outside you could have condensation at that that layer um and so it was really interesting for them to sort of see you know, when it's negative five degrees outside and you're heating to 65 or 70 mm-hmm. on the inside of the house, you know, how much of the, the insulation needs to be on the outside of, you know, the, something that would be less vapor permeable. And some of these OSB sheathings are not really vapor permeable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just, you know, makes you wonder, it's like, oh, you know, zip system is this great thing and we're going to tape it and we're going to do all this. And it's like, well, Yes, but maybe no, right? It depends. (laughs) (laughs) And so I really would love to see a lot more training as, um, as the code improves, because I think that we should be doing it. That is what we owe the public is better housing and, you know, cost you less to live in it. It's durable. It lives for a long time. It's a comfortable space to be there. Um, you know, but, but also it's, the right thing for the environment so uh, you know i get on my soapbox and i say all of those things too <laughs> but <laughs> but in order to get there i think that that the level of understanding and building may need to come up too and, and maine has a lot of i've been doing it this way for 25 years which is great it probably won't fall down but it might not be that good yeah. so <laughs> right well I, I you make a very good point um people need to know why they do what they're doing. Right. Right. And so if they're being forced to do something, they have no idea why they're being forced to do it. You know, all they know is there's, there's the the city telling me to how to build. um, And I don't think that's the best way either. So, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the answer is, you know, maybe like, I don't know about you guys, but as far as like builders go in Oregon, we have continued ed, you know, every, whatever, two, three years, something like that. So, you know, maybe we make building science as a requirement for that continued education as the, as the energy codes increase. 
Yeah, we have to get to the whole like get licensed as a contractor thing in Maine first. first. Um, <laughs> so, so right now, like I mentioned, it is like the wild, wild west out here. Yes. Uh, if you have a sticker um, name on the side of your truck, you can be a contractor. Uh, yes. it's, it's, it's a little, so, so yeah, I, I think a little bit of continuing education on that. I think in some ways we're moving in that direction anyway, because the next level of builders, you know, it, they're, they're not the same craftsmanship that, that, you know, they were doing a hundred years ago where that guy knew every stick and every, you know, right. like now we have a lot more subcontractors. We, um, I'm a big proponent of panelized construction. Yeah. I think that um, there are people who are going to be just so interested in the technology they'll get into building because we have a labor shortage. I'm sure you have the same problem. You know, it's just yeah. kind of everywhere. Is that, what can we do that's super cool that makes people want to get into the trades? Right. Um, and, and if we can do that by kind of tapping into some things that might be more interesting, like, yeah, building isn't just like hammering a couple of nails together. Like, let's talk about the science behind it. And let me catch your interest on, on those levels. I think, um, I think that, that would be good. And, and the hands-on component, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty tough on, on architects too. I don't know everything. I have to go to the job site and yeah. learn things. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully I learned that maybe a detail that I put together was, was good and it worked out really well. But I might also learn that something I put together was not a great idea. Yeah. And I don't know that unless I go to the job site. Um, you know, and there, there are too many people who, who draw something in the computer who maybe haven't, um, you know, haven't thought about how difficult that might be to build, you know, even right. like we like fully adhesive membranes, which work great when you're doing panelized construction. But then, mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking to one of my other contractors who's like, yeah, that's great on the first floor. But once you start to get on the second floor and you're on a ladder and you, you know, it's right. like, oh yeah, right. Okay. That adds complication. And so right. I think that building construction training for architects and designers is equally as important. Um, you know, I got into it because my grandfather was a contractor and we did a lot of Habitat for Humanity stuff back in high school. And I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but I also really liked science. And so I, I think that was how I ended up as an architect of like or a high performance architect yeah. really is like it's not kind of cool enough just to design something that looks neat. Like, how does this go together? And what's its detail? And how's this moving through here? And, and am I gonna wake up in the middle of the night having nightmares that there's condensation in my wall structure? <laughs> uh, I'm, I am with you 100%, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I wish I would have paid attention in, in school to science because I am way more into it now than, than back when I was in school, so. Well, I think that they don't always teach it to you in practical application. Yes. Like right. I do a lot of math, but I never liked math in school when math didn't apply to something else. Yeah. Like yeah. I went and took, you know, um, structures classes in college and used calculus. And when you're applying it to structures and, and all of that, it's like, oh yeah, okay, this is cool. Yeah. But when you're just right. doing calculus in a class where it's just like a bunch of numbers and you come up with an answer at the end, it, it just wasn't interesting. And so... Right. I think too much of science wasn't applied to, to an interest level, um, mm -hmm. which is why maybe we're more interested in it as adults than we were, you know, way back in, you know, right. sophomore year in high school when you didn't know what you were going to do. 
Well, Very I mean, maybe you did third generation builder. <laughs> yeah. you, you knew you were going to build. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. But I, I didn't know really why. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but anyway, I appreciate you coming on and telling, telling me more about Aero Barrier. I, I think that we'll, we'll probably have you on to talk more about it as it becomes more popular um, here. But um, I'd love to have you back on the podcast just to talk about high performance building yeah. and, you know, your, your cold and dry climate zone, which is a little bit different than our sort of cold and wet climate zone. So, yeah. So. Yeah. I could do this all day. Um, <laughs> if, but yeah. And if I, if I miss, Something, uh, if I didn't answer a question, feel free to follow up. And Yeah, absolutely. I will, um, I'll make sure that your contact information gets up on the, uh, on the podcast too. Cause as the, as I talked to Travis and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm talking to West coast people uh, as well. And so, um, spreading the, spreading the building science love for sure. Um, so, uh, I, I love that, but I'll make sure that your contact information gets on there. So if there are other people out in your area, they can just, call you up and um, you need to start your own building science discussion group, uh, BS and beer in Oregon. In Oregon. I'm all about it. We have, yeah. we have some beer here for sure. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Craft brew. I don't know if that's just a thing all over the country, but we definitely have uh, some, a lot of craft breweries popping up in Maine. So yes. Yeah. I think, I think it's a thing everywhere. I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Awesome. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to to chat building science. I uh, I do do this every day <laughs> for the most part. I just I'm like I uh, was reading this business book and it said you know if you're not sure then you're definitely the nerd. I'm like oh I'm definitely yep. the nerd. Yep, yep. So. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm really enjoying the podcast love and sharing some building science knowledge uh, all over the country, it seems. So if you'd like to be on the podcast, please reach out, Emily at MottramARCH.com. Reach me on Instagram, MottramARCH. You can also reach me on Facebook if you Google Mottram Architecture. Lots of ways to get in touch. Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, and tell us what you'd like me to change. So thanks for tuning in and have a great week.